Iced coffee, lemon blazers and time out with the fam, even if you sometimes have to do it through a pinched smile. There are a million things that I'm thankful for today, but what is my guest thankful for? I remember being um, like about eight and being like obsessed with Madonna. So I was going around like Rialto in like this red tutu, biker jacket with an afro. It was too much. <laughs> it was too much for me. <laughs> I'm Angela Scanlon and welcome to Thanks a Million, where we explore our guests' personal gratitude list to find out the things that have shaped their lives. Today's guest is the fabulous Emma Dabbery, an author, academic and broadcaster. Born in Dublin to an Irish mother and Nigerian father, Emma's debut book, Don't Touch My Hair, was published in 2019 to widespread critical acclaim and this year was followed by another fascinating game changer of book, the Sunday Times and Irish Times bestseller, What White People Can Do Next, From Allyship to Coalition. It's a must read, drawing on years of research and personal experience to challenge us all to create meaningful lasting change and I would encourage you to grab a copy if you haven't already. It's also lovely on a shelf. As well as being a frequent writer on race and racism, Emma has also co-presented BBC Four's Britain's Lost Masterpieces and Journeys to Afrofuturism, as well as Channel 4 documentaries such as Is Love Racist? She also has a PhD in visual sociology from Goldsmiths and is a teaching fellow at the School of Oriental and African Studies in London. In other words, she's a smart cookie and a voice we are all very, very thankful to have. She's also funny as hell. Just before we get into that, what are you thankful for right now? This one is from Herring Spuds. Sexy. Woken this AM by a nearly 17-year-old gal coming to steal a jumper. Being a dad is my number one. The Gypsy Caravan on Bowl Hill is my number two. I don't know what they sprinkle in the chai tea, but it worked for me after an intense weekend trying to support the three main women in my life take the steps they want to make. Good dad. Three would be reflection on synchronicities, meeting Enda Kenny in County Cork, meeting Baroness Elizabeth Rose before she moved on and walking the North Anglesey coastal path and thinking of Mother Glasgow. Kirsty Elwood, being surrounded by my wee family when I'm on a mental low ebb, they cushion the fall. Sending you lots of love, Kirsty. Coffee, fresh air and hugs from Broadbent. Delonka, the hint of ocean in the air. We talking salty smells? A good book and tea. Good wholesome bunch there. Drew the wordsmith. The halo device in Formula One and Emma Raducanu's infectious optimism. Unbelievable. She is an absolute star, honestly. And also Piers Morgan. Morto. Right, let's get into the episode. In our chat, we talk Dublin. There's quite a bit of Dublin, to be fair. Fashion, secondhand clothes and dressing like Madonna, even when you're three. Being black at school in Irish, pep talks and language. There's a lot of chat about Irish people and cultural differences between the UK and Ireland, which, by the way, if you don't know there are any, it might be worth hanging in for. We really do go in. It's possibly the most Irish of Irish chats that I've had on this podcast yet, and I love it. And by the way, in case you don't know what GA means, because there are a few references to it, it's the Gaelic Athletic Association. We call it football, but you know. Okay, enough rabbit on from me. Here's Emma Dabbery. <laughs> oh, I hear a baby. Hello, Emma Dabbery. How you doing? Is this a little chewer? He's on his he's on his way out. <laughs> See you later. 
<laughs> I like how he's letting his presence be known. He's like, I'm out, okay? But, you know, Always. not yet. Um, good. So how are you this morning? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. Is it true that you were due to move back to Ireland before all of this madness kicked off? No, <laughs> it's not. Oh, oh, great. It's not true. It's a great start. <laughs> um, My research is thorough. No, you know what? It, it, it is <laughs> It is actually incredibly thorough because it's maybe like a desire I had, but I hadn't, like, okay. hadn't actualized it. Um, so maybe I you, just tuned smell it. <laughs> you tuned in <laughs> telepathically. I, I'd actually, yeah, like... I will couch it in a kinder. I'd kind of okay. love to move back to Dublin. I was having like a little look at houses and stuff, but honestly, like... Which, by the way, are off the charts like, right that's, now. That's the primary reason. Like, you know, it's it's, it's actually just kind of out of the question. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> not in the yeah. not in the immediate future. I'm actually not uh, not completely averse to living in another part of the country, but I realised that I don't know Ireland well at all, like outside of Dublin. Um, mm. So I couldn't just kind of, you know, pack up and relocate to somewhere that I really, I'm not familiar with in that way. Where are you from Kildare? I'm Mead. Mead, okay. Yeah, but like, you know, in that neck of the woods, that, but then my parents, my dad is Mayo and my mom is Galway. So I kind of have always felt like, you know, technically in the pale, you know, and we sp I spend a lot of time in Dublin. I would have Irish danced in Dublin and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But actually, I mean, I kind of liken it to how I imagine Ruby will grow up and your gang, you know, that there's like Irish parents in an, like an Irish home, but in a different area. So I feel like I'm very much a Westie, but in the east of Ireland. <laughs> so it's a bit of a cultural um, mix. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know? I was reading an article about the rise of like GAA sports in Dublin. And I read this article yeah. ages ago. So um, <laughs> if I get it like horribly wrong, there's the possibility of that. But um, it was saying that like it was basically like a generation of people whose parents were like from the country but they'd all been like born in Dublin they, they had had that influence on the change in sports so there's probably okay. other influences as well I think I'm oh, probably yeah. misquoting it but it was <laughs> no I do you know what that sounds kind of right because if you think about it but probably back in the day when we were growing up you know there was a kind of split if you were from Dublin you might have done soccer yeah exactly or you did ga whereas if you were in any other part of the country there was only ga exactly I know there was a lot of people around my area whose parents had been relocated from the west of Ireland and given like a little plot basically which I mean it sounds like another lifetime doesn't it but like and they found it really difficult actually because they were you know Westies but not in the Dublin sense of the word and so yeah anyway yeah oh, this all of the conversation <laughs> but yeah that actually that a lot of the locals were like who are these people coming in from Galway and Mayo and taking our like luscious green land and mead for what reason yeah, but then maybe they infiltrated with Ga. Who knows? My <laughs> history. I did quite well in history, but I realise now it was just based on memory of text that was pre-written rather than any <laughs> real grasp of history. Well, that's school, isn't it? It's just kind of like the regurgitation of text rather than like kind yeah, of and critical of somebody analysis. else's text. Yeah. yeah. I read... Um, 
read a quote yesterday which I'm going to balls up completely I'm sure actually I think it was from your book oh, there we go. <laughs> hang on maybe well, I'll, be able, I'll be able to correct you if you get okay it you'll be actually, able to you correct it I won't? like often people like share with me things I've written and I'm like and you're like did I say that that's pretty good yeah. um but I re- I quoted it to my husband we were driving yesterday and I was like it was about education and it was about actually now we think that we're super educated because we have Google in our fist at all times and it was something like education is the ability to question information and like critical thinking around information that you're presented with rather than just swallowing whole what you're fed or what you're given at any at any time which obviously we have access to all the time now Um, and I thought wow a lot of what we're given we just accept as fact instead of going how do I feel what okay let's have a think about this yeah, especially if it's in like a cute infographic, you know, it's like <laughs> it can be quite uh, influencing. So, yeah, yeah. that's um, I actually was quoting like Angela Davis and she's talking. That's about, exactly it. She's talking about the, the distinction between information and knowledge and what the inf- what the that's Internet important. has given us is a lot of information. But the yeah. distinction between that and knowledge is being able to, you know, like critically assess that. And I'd also yeah. see a lot of things taken from texts, like quotes, where they're like they're actually they're taken out of context. And mm-hmm. if you just remove that quote from the context that it's in, it can have quite a different meaning <laughs> to the one yeah. that is um, to the one that exists if you read the fuller the fuller text. And I think you see yeah. that happening a lot on social media and a lot with um, discourse around race. Yeah. And it's the 120 characters thing, isn't it? I mean, you can take a quote and kind of filter it through a specific lens to kind of support whatever argument you're You're, making. And I think a lot of the time that's what people are using things, as you say, completely out of context to reinforce the belief they already have rather than to be educated in a different way. Yeah, I think there's a lot of scope for that. Drawing that distinction is quite an easy way of highlighting some of the challenges. So yeah, that distinction between information and knowledge, yeah. Information and knowledge. And it actually really hit, because we're at the point, not quite where we're looking at schooling, and I'm like, what is school <laughs> these, these days, you know? And how does it actually <clears throat> equip little people for a world that is changing at a rate? Like the stuff that we learned in school, I don't know whether it's relevant in 20 years time to the jobs that don't even exist right now. That like, yeah, it's a conversation. I'm you're, I'm sure you're in that phase where you're going, what? Like, oh, I'm like, what, what is school? Like what? Generally. Whatever was school, you know? Yeah. Okay. Like if you look at the history of universal education, it isn't like a great kind of like philanthropic endeavor. Um, mm. When you see primary education being come, become universalized here, you know it's like in in the UK during the Industrial Revolution. It's to introduce children to the industrial yeah. working day to make them punctual to make them conform compliant yeah to conform to a system in where their their labor will, will be exploited it's not really to yeah. nourish inquisitive young minds this you know it. and my school days yeah they were too far from that ethos you know yeah 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 it is interesting though because i do think that that idea and you know there's obviously countries where kids go into that formal education much later and apparently the results show that actually they probably do develop critical thinking and much more curiosity rather than read this book then spit it back at me um without you know any question around what you're actually consuming yeah yeah or any power to decide what you're consuming i think that's probably 
primary part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And also, like, I remember in school, anything like being like quite inquisitive or using like vocabulary that we hadn't learned in school and that being met with like suspicion and punishment, actually, either, um, you know, being told that I couldn't possibly know those words. So somebody else had done the work for me. Or I'd copied it from somewhere. Or I remember writing like a short story and being told that I had a very overactive imagination. (laughs) Even at the time, I was thinking, is that that not the the nature of what we're doing? This this creative writing that we're supposed to be doing? Yeah, but not that creative, Emma. Rain it in. Who do you think you are? (laughs) Um, I do have to say, though, on the subject of vocab, your grasp on vocabulary is astonishing oh, thank you <laughs> like it's so beautiful to read what you write and obviously there is like a vast range of substance and heart and soul poured into your books but the act the way that you write is um yeah it feels like I'm being educated in more ways than one when I read your books <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> which, by the way, doesn't make me feel great, which might have been how your teacher felt when you oh, read oh your God. essay. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm like, wow, this is like, it's it's beautiful. Oh, thank you Beautifully. so much. You're a beautiful writer apart from everything else. <laughs> I, I, I think I also use like not a lot of profanity because I don't I really don't like too much profanity in writing I think it um yeah I think it actually detracts but I use probably more than would be anticipated in um work on this this subject I'm kind yeah. of waiting for somebody to everyone's like you're a beautiful writer which is wonderful but I'm like is, is no one gonna comment on on cursing like a sailor lads what's your problem <laughs> there's balance here okay <laughs> but obviously it's obviously uh, maybe 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 it's not that maybe it's not that noticeable so I'm I'm, I'm happy no, about that it's just me not ex- when it's wrapped in all of this rapture <laughs> glorious glorious now I am drinking a cup of tea Emma this morning I know you like a morning latte <laughs> but I also know that you like ritual generally mm. and you appreciate that kind of ritual I know that you, you, you've said that you love the ritual around tea and, and the kind of ceremony around tea and that's something I'm only recently getting into but that kind of sense of ritual is that something that you kind of practice in in your life generally so it's something that's kind of gone out the window um okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I also have like um a toddler and have had very like intermittent to non-existent childcare <laughs> through lockdown okay. um so yeah a lot of that kind of slower more ritualistic process that I feel helps you know really ground me and be quite meditative is 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 mm. currently a bit of a pipe dream <laughs> but uh, <laughs> It's what I aspire Once to. Once it stays there. <laughs> it's what I aspire Fine. to. It's important. Yeah. I think I think it is I, I think it is really important. You know, the way we live with everything just being so time poor and like constantly mm-hmm. rushing and constantly dashing around the place and often like feeling stressed. I think it's just really important to like slow down and have some kind of like um yeah, just kind of meditative processes yeah. that you have that you can incorporate into your day um I do transcendental meditation as well oh, do um, you? which I find really so helpful. when did you study that um I did it when my eldest son was so maybe when he was about two 
I did okay. I did a course you do kind of like a three or four day course I know either. I've done oh. it yeah yeah exactly so where you learn it yeah. and then so do you do the 20 minutes twice a day no um, okay yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do but that's fine I do it in the, yeah. I do it in the morning and um I don't think I've I've never really managed to do the the, the two sessions a day Mm -hmm. but the improvement when I'm regularly doing one a day even makes me think that if I could get that second one in I wouldn't know myself so that's bulletproof (laughs) you know do you do it yeah Uh, so I am I'm quite a faddist and I did would you believe I did a course in transcendental meditation um in Dublin around 15 years ago whoa pioneer I know (laughs) and um now I was I didn't really realize it it was recommended to me by somebody and I thought oh yeah actually maybe that's a good thing went in did the whole shebang and actually I did practice it quite quite a lot and then I it fell away and I've only in the last year properly come back to meditation in a way but honestly it has completely changed my head (laughs) which was quite a ferocious place to be for a while it's just changed my kind of way of being but that's sometimes for a lot of people and for people listening the idea of finding even the 20 minutes in a morning or however long that might be seems like such a stretch so the idea of making tea a meditative process of going for a run if you can manage that or whatever it might be of turning that into a little moment of kind of um presence I suppose for want of Mm -hmm. a a better Mm -hmm. term I think TM isn't that what they call it yeah that's the one that's like most scientifically backed yeah so that they've actually done studies and they've introduced it in like in prisons and in schools and they've been able to monitor so it tends to be I think one that will even convert skeptics who are like absolutely not open for the old woo-woo yeah yeah completely completely and also I the beauty of it is even if you can't do the 20 minutes like even doing five minutes you can do shorter you get yeah. the maximum kind of benefit from it from doing tw- 20 minutes twice a day. But like I said, I think I've probably Whatever managed that take. once. Um, but if you even do like a five minute session, you know, there's there's yeah. benefit from that. It's good. It's good. I'm into it. Do you know something that you inspired me to do? Well, Go, oh, hit me. <laughs> the ice bathing <laughs> Stop it. so I haven't managed to do it in the wild <laughs> yeah that's fine but I've been having um like in lockdown oh god I just felt like so sluggish and so just like ugh, really struggling to get out of bed in the morning which wasn't really an option with yeah. like young children just feeling dire and then I hate the cold let me just kind of like give a, a bit of broader context that I hate the cold like I have quite like poor circulation so I really like suffer okay. from the cold so I just try and avoid the cold at all costs so me yeah. having an ice cold shower is not what anybody who knows me could can really anticipate I can hardly believe I'm uttering those words but I saw you talking about it and I saw I saw a good few people talk about it. I saw a lot of people at home as well like so yeah. many people I know going to the 40 foot like just loads of people like getting getting involved with the cold water and mm-hmm. I was just like, let me give it a go. So I got like a bucket, it's like a, what is it? Ice bucket challenge. I actually yeah. doused myself in like a bucket of cold water. And I was like, fucking hell, it feels like my skin is like coming off. But then like I did it oh, again, yeah. I, just kept, I just was building up. And now yeah. I can, not only can I totally handle it, like I, I love it. Like it's so invigorating. It. I can't yeah. wait to get into and the And I bet city. your circulation is much better, isn't it? Ooh, 
I don't know actually. I haven't really been cold actually. Because I have really freezing feet and I usually have like a big sexy old bed sock on. And <laughs> I me. don't need them. <laughs> I don't need them as much anymore. I just find you're kind of what like, you know, on a spiritual level they talk about it being the first battle of the day. So if you can survive your cold shower with a kind of stillness that you can basically bring that to any whatever you know seemingly big thing that you face like a shitty email from someone is like I've done the cold shower this is a piece of piss I, yeah, I hadn't I hadn't even thought about it in those terms, but that like yeah. that totally makes sense. I'm to, I'm yeah. a convert and an advocate. Great. Oh well, listen. If you're open, I've got a whole <laughs> list of gear that you can try. from your invigorating cold shower what are you thankful for today Emma? I am thankful for lots of things but like I guess most immediately is um being able to get vaccinated you know when there are so many people that it's that's that that's not a a possibility at the moment so I feel deeply thankful for that but also like quite uncomfortable with the global inequalities that exist in the world that facilitate that so maybe that's a kind of um, uneasy comfort but that's a big one if you've have had a kind of almost hidden or quiet anxiety you know bubbling in the background and then suddenly there's a, a sense of relief yeah I, I honestly think we're like we're all walking around with like you know so many kind of pressures and stresses and sometimes you don't even realize the weight of them until one of them is lifted and you're just like oh my god like that's actually been really affecting me but I haven't I haven't Mm. realized I have found speaking with friends and even with family this kind of sudden anxiety with things opening back up and I think it's almost a slightly delayed reaction to what we've just been through yeah in that it's kind of you know you're braced we're in this you know this trauma collective trauma and you're kind of bolstered to get through it and then suddenly you can go there's relief that comes with like letting your shoulders drop but also the reality of what you've been through can then start to hit yeah 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 totally my younger son was only a few months old when lockdown started like so rather than going to all of these you know like play centers and all of these things that are quite like flashy and shiny like his older brother would have he's walking around the park (laughs) really like hugging the trees really stopping and like looking at the flowers and really like he does this deep dramatic inhalation (laughs) whenever he sees a flower so just enjoying what's around us you know yeah yeah, and actually, you know, because I I know you travel a lot for work and that idea of actually being there and watching, even experiencing him with his big deep inhalation. It's like, oh, wow, there's something that we can, you know, learn from this slightly more simple, innocent way yeah. of living. You yeah, know, absolutely. Sweet. Okay, is there a thank fuck for this? So the thing that you would be absolutely lost without. Black eyeliner. <laughs> <laughs> black eyeliner okay so are we talking coal or are we talking like a liquid it would be a liquid probably but um i can work with coal as well yeah but i feel like i've worn black eyeliner almost every day since i was 14 which is a long time ago so yeah and it's like quite a it's quite a wing isn't it it's quite a wing and i've 
sometimes over the years that wing's been in fashion. Sometimes it hasn't been, but I stick with it. But it's, it's, it's like your my signature thing. look. Yeah, yeah. I love that. <laughs> and I think there's something to be said for a signature look. It like... You know, and I know you love makeup and the kind of, um, again, maybe that's a ritual thing, is it? Like actually sitting and getting you, ready and the it, play yeah, involved. Yeah, I think it might be. I think it might be. And I like I absolutely love all of the um, the actual like cases that they, that, you know, like a lipstick comes in or like a, a um, yeah. God, my brain is short circuiting. Blusher? Like a compact yeah. comes in. And I, I like ones that look often quite retro when I was growing up my mum sold like secondhand secondhand clothes and um I always really liked the 1940s and 1950s so I like and maybe that's where the black wing comes from actually I just find the packaging like really beautiful design often so yeah that's quite ritualistic um I I read about you um coming over did you was it the boat or maybe I'm like throwing you back in time but like coming over with your mum to do to get like hauls um <laughs> just uh, I love that first of all I love the image of the pair of you coming over together and you climbing up the mounds of clothes <laughs> to get some grandfather shirts it's just lovely yeah I think it's it's slash child labor it's but like, <laughs> more romantic through the <laughs> through my lens no 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 even in my okay, even yeah. in my lens now I think the reality no no it was it was actually yeah. good fun the fairy was quite lively in um okay. <laughs> in the eight this is in the eighties. This is when I was like a, a small child. So yeah, we'd we'd take the ferry over and then drive down from um what is it, Hollyhead to Liverpool. Yeah. And then Liverpool had loads of rag yards. Okay. The, and this was before secondhand clothes had been like upgraded to vintage. So there wasn't the same yeah. demand for them. There was there was a lot that was available. Um okay. so really, really beautiful clothes. And um yeah, I'd be We'd go into like the warehouses and there'd just be kind of like literally mountains of clothes. And I'd like, yeah, scramble up to the top of them with a brief, a certain type of dress that was needed, whatever. And I'd pull them out. And and did she have a shop in Dublin? Yeah, she did. She, she actually had a stall okay. in George's Street Arcade. No way. Yeah, and then she had a, and then she had a shop uh, later on. She still has a shop. You, you know, that? Oh, what's it called? Retro. Stop it. <laughs> That's it. No way! Yeah. Um, oh wow! Okay, that's what I started doing. Now, not with, well. There was some secondhand stuff, but jewelry. I had a stall in the loft in Powers Court, which is oh obviously like a, you know, an iteration. Well, they were trying to do, I guess, what Georgia Street Arcade had done. But like, oh my God, this so that's like a bit of history there, isn't it? Yeah. No. Yeah. It it, it really is. It really is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I always had to work in there. At the weekend nice. when I was a yeah. teenager. Earn your money. Hating it. But then sometimes... Did you? Yeah, I just didn't really want to work. I just kind of wanted to like recover yeah. from my hangover. And oh, another thing. Sometimes I used to give out flyers for the shop on Grafton Street. And I, I enjoyed okay. that because it, it was quite a useful ruse for talking to boys. Okay. So, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. So were you a little <laughs> wild one? I mean, talking to boys, wild. But like, we're... <laughs> sorry. Just swear. Um, were, uh, were you wild? I probably was what would be... <laughs> what would be classified as a little a, do you know what like I don't know if I was particularly wild I feel like it was just wild times like I feel like yeah okay I feel like everyone was wild yeah you know? yeah and there was less rules like 
Yeah, or there was less less iPhones on you. Maybe. Oh my god, there was nothing. You know? There was nothing like that. This is like yeah. before. <laughs> even really anyone was like using the internet you know, oh, know. my mum was actually quite strict but um most of my friends parents like weren't so I could kind of like stay in their houses and okay get it, it get away with there. them get away with going out when I was too okay. young to really be going to there was to a little places. eyebrow raise there for <laughs> listeners she's like I could kind of get away with <laughs> did you appreciate though like going back to the clothes because I always associate you with like with style and with a really kind of um confident colorful um style what do you think that's from from that time from like is there kind of vintage influence there or like was that yeah was that was that from your mom oh yeah definitely definitely I actually used to wear a lot of secondhand clothes that I was mercilessly bullied for really oh because it wasn't cool then right yeah and also like I was like a, a, a black child in yeah in clothes from maybe like the 1950s or 60s, you know. I okay. already... Quite a distinct look in Ireland at the time. Look. I already was perceived as like quite weird. So the clothes on top of it were just... It was just too much, you know. But I remember being um, like about eight and being like obsessed, obsessed with Madonna. And okay. Madonna in kind of like her punk, her kind of earlier punk stage. Like Suddenly Susan vibes. Yeah, desperate, desperately seeking Susan. Oh, desperately yeah, yeah, and um, desperately movie. seeking Susan, and yeah. a different look. But it was, I liked both of them. Who's that girl? Not, not oh, one that's who. the one I'm thinking. That's <laughs> the one I'm thinking. What a movie! She wears a red tutu, a red net tutu, in that. So my godmother yeah. had this red net tutu made for me, and then my mum found me like a little tiny biker jacket. So I was going around like Rialto in like this red tutu biker jacket with an afro so I didn't quite achieve like the peroxide blonde hair that I, I, that I would have liked though. yeah but it, it really it, it it was too much <laughs> it was too much <laughs> it was too much but also given you know that as you say you were quite different in Ireland and I think for you know for um British people, it's quite hard to imagine just how, you know, rare almost it was to see a little black girl yeah. <laughs> in Ireland. Like, you know, were there people in your school that looked like you? So in the whole school, they're usually, I went to so many different schools as well. Like I really didn't like okay. school. In most of the schools, like out of the whole school, there might have been three other black children it's very, very insignificantly small numbers of anyone who wasn't yeah. white. And that was in Dublin, which would have been at the more diverse end of the country. You yeah. know, I think there's a lot of people in counties all over who would never have seen anyone that didn't look exactly like oh, them yeah. but with Com- different colour hair. Well, sure, if I saw, like, another black person, like, that was something of an event for me, you know? Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, and th- this is in like the 80s and the early 90s, you know, obviously by mm. the kind of mid, around the time I left, people were starting to emigrate to Ar- to Ireland. So yeah. um, you were starting to see a little bit more diversity. And if I was mm. like 10 and certainly 20 years younger, it would be quite different. It'd be very different yeah. actually. But I think I was mm. kind of like, when I was little, it was still 
uh, just a pr- pretty homogeneously white country. And it's not even that it was just, even if somebody was completely white, but had like a surname that was like, you know, not Irish, that stood yeah. out. Or a double barrel surname. That stood or, out, yeah, yeah you know. Yeah. Or if you had like an English accent or something, you know, because mm. I, I knew a couple of people who were Irish, but um, their parents were Irish, but they'd been born, they'd been born in the UK and they'd moved back over and they had English accents and they would have okay. stood out as well, you know, like very much yeah. so. And so how were you about standing out? Because I'm, I'm just picturing this image of you in your, you know, Madonna get up <laughs> and actually you know, you would imagine that a lot of people would be wildly uncomfortable with that sense of feeling other. And yet I have a vision of you being very comfortable in your skin, in wild clothes. And I think that's amazing. I think by the time I was a teenager, I became like more conformist. When I was younger, I was still just kind of like expressing my individuality more than I probably felt comfortable to when I was a te- by the time I was a teenager okay yeah yeah, yeah. that <laughs> became learned. more of a fearful place I know it's <laughs> mad isn't it I spoke to friends the other day and we were talking about how um I remember and obviously this is not in any way relatable but I remember I was really into style and I had like this zebra uh, print belt that I bought which I thought was amazing and I remember getting ready in friends houses and somebody saying I don't think Ratoth is ready for that (laughs) (laughs) I was like what my what my belt it's literally like half an inch thick and it's black and white but I was kind of told no that's no that's a bit out there yeah 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 no like absolutely like there was very um there was just like a lot of conformity and you couldn't really easily veer so with it within that though if something was ordained okay it could actually be quite out there because I remember like going to Atlanta to stay with my cousins which I did like a lot of summers but I remember being about 17 and doing that and wearing like huge buffalo boots oh yeah and people just being like what are they so even though Dublin was quite conservative there were certain things that in another context people had never seen anything like it and were like but I think America is so conservative oh in the yeah. way they dress yes. in a lot of time. I was like, sometimes you feel like you're going back in time. And in my mind, you know, well, I certainly did what more American TV than British TV. Yeah, definitely. Like Saved by the Bell and Sweet Valley High yeah, and all that Fresh kind of Prince. stuff. Yeah, and they were so cool. And then you actually... You go there. Like, I remember going to Virginia and I was like, what is this fresh hell? And there was like nothing. (laughs) We were quite trendy by comparison to what the norm was in those places. Completely. And I feel like um, maybe if you were to go to like certain parts of like New York or something. Or LA maybe. But if you're just in the South, um, where I was going, yeah, Dublin seemed quite cutting edge fashion. Yeah. In yeah, comparison. Yeah. Um, do you have a picture of you in your Madonna getup? Sadly, I don't think I have the Madonna getup. No, do you know what I do have? I was also obsessed with um, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is a completely ordinary thing for an eight-year-old girl to be obsessed with. And um, you know the woman, I can't believe, I can't remember her name because I used to dress up as her regularly. She was wearing like a leotard fishnet and tap da- okay. tap dancing shoes and a top hat. So I, ha- I, I have a picture of me at a birthday party in Rialto 
um, in the 80s wearing that. <laughs> like, I absolutely love that. And, you know, I, I sometimes feel quite sad. And as you say, you started to like, you learned over time to hone things down. Yeah, big time. And I was quite, like, as a kid, I really, like, loved my style. I remember getting my sister's communion dress and... It was a hand-me-down and I only agreed, as if I had a choice, that I would wear it on the condition that I could like pimp it up. (laughs) So I got a hoop underneath it and I got black shoes and I got a little flowered um, thingy in my hair. And then I remember a birthday party where I had the wildest gear on. And I I absolutely loved it. It was like full expression. And then over time, I started to like look around. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. You don't wear that. Or if you do wear that, it's not cool or you're not. And suddenly bending and shaping yourself so that you actually didn't stand out in the way you so gloriously love to do when you're rocking up to a birthday in Rialto dressed like a hooker. <laughs> you know what? I think she actually is a hooker. I just was like, let me avoid um... <laughs> No, I think, she, I think like, she is. I think that's actually her profession. Okay. But like the freedom in that is so, is so beautiful actually. And it's like, if we could just maintain that for longer, you know. What is the thank you next? So this is a chapter in your life that at the time you hated, but like having come through it, looking back, you're like, do you know what? That built me. Oh my God. I spoiled my choice on that one. Sorry. Learning Irish in school. Okay. Which I hated. And as a consequence, like didn't really learn. But there's like, there's still a little bit there because I did it like from the age of four. And it's something that I am grateful that I was actually forced to because there's no way I would have done it out of out of choice. And I was very resistant to it. But now I just actually feel sad that I wasn't that I wasn't more into it and I can't actually speak it properly. And I'm pretty determined to learn Irish, actually. Okay, that's next on my agenda. When you say you were resistant, was that like in school? Because I think we maybe a lot of people were resistant um, to learning Irish because it was like, what is the point of this? I don't think you kind of had a grasp of. Also, you know, if you learned French, you could at least imagine yourself heading off to France (laughs) and, you know, being a bit cosmopolitan. But with Irish, I think we all had this idea that oh it's so backward it's like so it's not cool at all (laughs) so was it was it just the normal kind of resistance or were you like absolutely not this is not my gig so there was the normal resistance that everyone had you know there's pretty strong not everyone actually but that most people had and then Mm. that was compounded by the fact that I was often told that I wasn't really Irish so I was just like Uh. so on top of that I have to learn this language no. That you're telling me I don't even know. Yeah, you know, so it was yeah. it was definitely compounded by yeah. that sense. But I think like it was when I when I moved to the UK and started doing like um, African studies and African history and um, a lot of post-colonial texts and just realizing how applicable all that was to Ireland as well, mm. which sounds like really obvious but um it it just hit me and I was doing a lot of learning a lot about the move of kind of independent African countries to negotiate the tension between English being the official language and all of the different languages that were spoken in those places and I was just like oh my god like there's 
there's so much parallels but that yeah. I st- at that point I still wasn't like I want to learn Irish you know yeah. as I've gotten older and I think as I've gotten more into kind of like de decolonial thinking I've just been like the most obvious place for me to start with this is with Irish and there there does seem to be quite a um uh, a reassessment of the Irish language I feel like with a lot of my peers and certainly now it seems cool yeah. you know it actually yes. is cool to speak it as opposed yeah. to when I was a kid it was very much not cool yeah and I also think a lot of people Irish people and I wonder if this was kind of like just bam or it was a way of trying to find some silver lining in having such a massive part of your identity taken I think people framed it that well actually Irish people English is our first language and out of the European countries that means we can get the most out of England in a way it was this kind of sense of we're we can go to America we're like very exportable yeah yeah yeah. because English is our first language almost like do you know what? They might have tricked us into this or they might have forced us into this, but actually we've come out on top. Yeah, yeah, with completely. This. But actually what you give away, I suppose, in terms of identity or like on a deeper level, that kind of sacrifice of your mother language is is quite a deep wound, I think. Yeah, and also like every language has its own construction of reality. Mm-hmm. So you're actually, it's not just that you're losing... Words, words you're actually losing another an alternative vision of 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 reality you know a way of being a way of being on, mm. on something like that's on a kind of a, a deep kind of deeply philosophical and spiritual level something is yeah. is lost because i the, the world and and priorities and knowledge is organized completely differently in mm. um in 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 that language system you know yeah you know the yeah. book a, a book i read recently that i have really adored is 32 words for field okay no yeah i'm literally writing yeah down. yeah yeah that's awesome and go on so what's that about 32 wor- words for field is saying that like you know in irish there's 32 words for field there's another there's different there's different priorities there's different orientations in like what the language exists for and, and what it seeks to do and the way it like constructs the world there's just something i'm trying to remember about like turning a key in english it's like left and right you turn the key left turn the right but in irish it's like turning with the direction of the sun like which is just completely different so it's, it's just more it's way more entangled yeah. with the world yeah. that you're in that yeah and understanding your part in that world instead of your dominance of that world exactly which is one of the ideas i talk about in uh, yeah. what white people can do next you know mm-hmm. re-establishing that humans as and even that word comes from yeah. a particular kind of a dominant idea of life but understanding our place in ecology in the environment as an entangled relationship rather than one in which we are some sort of separate and dominant superior yeah do you remember um Pocahontas <laughs> I do I haven't seen it now for quite a while. I haven't seen on. it for years. But one of the songs in that is like so like socially 
like it's, it's like it's quite revolutionary for Disney. I wasn't really into Disney growing up. Actually, I didn't. I didn't yeah. watch a lot of Disney cartoons. I mean, I think but, there's been a shift in the messaging. To be fair, Moana <laughs> is quite empowering. But um, when she sit, when Pocahontas is singing to the English colonialist, I can't remember his name. But she's like, you think you own whatever land you land on? You think the earth a dead thing you can claim? And I remember being a kid and being like, oh, that's actually. <laughs> okay that's a really um interesting way to look at it and actually it is just reframing that like that system that you're kind of can't help but be part of until you start to really think about the alternative mm -hmm. you know okay is there a thanks that got away emma yeah, actually, I have um, my aunt in Atlanta who passed away last year. I used to spend my summers with her okay. and she was just very, like, supportive of me in a way that I didn't really have any um, kind of older black, like, role models in my life at that stage. So she just, I remember, you know, giving me, like, advice kind of about being like a young black woman that I really wasn't going to get, <laughs> that I wasn't going to okay. get anywhere else that was like, that was very valuable. So you know how I said in Ireland, everyone was kind of like wild. Yeah. So I'm going to America and I'm quite wild in that Irish way, but America's a completely different context. And she was, um, just gave me a few pep talks, you know, okay. that, that, that I needed. But I don't think I, I ever really told her like, how important she was to me in that m period in my life, how much I kind of needed that person. So yeah, my, my auntie Rhonda. Well, that's a lovely one, Rhonda. <laughs> um, and also I do think that idea of the, the kind of wildness in um, the Irish wildness, I think you probably, maybe you got a few lessons over here. I certainly did, you know, but you kind of think no in Ireland is, it's just a suggestion. You know? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like there's definitely a few more questions that like happen before you get the solid no. You know, yeah. like if you, you're going, at, you're getting kicked out of a pub. I remember going to a, a wedding and it was 12 o'clock and or whatever time it was. And they said the wedding's over now. We we're like, come on. OK, yeah, we'll be great. We'll, we'll, yeah. And he's like, you, li you need to go. Like you literally sold us a drink three minutes ago and now you're telling us to leave. And it was, it's such certainty. And everybody just nods, smiles and leaves. We were <laughs> like, what is, what is going on here? It was just such a, like actually quite a big culture shock to, to be very obedient actually. Yeah. It's the same with queuing over here. There's no way people would look and go, you absolute <laughs> dickheads. What are you queuing for? No, Come back when so, it's quieter. It's so true. And I remember being, I remember I'd been over here about five years and my mum, I wasn't like skipping a queue, but it was something like that. It was something yeah. that was just about having no respect for what the, for what the rule was. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing it. Like, yeah, not anymore, was, babe. <laughs> I'm not doing it. And she was just like, this country's broken you. And she was like, really like disappointed. <laughs> And I was just like, oh my God, this is like, you're my mother. Yeah, but it's also true. You're like, my husband is like, look at you. You literally see a queue. Like we could be driving by somewhere and I see a queue and I'm like, oh, what's in there? It's like, you're a dickhead. There's nothing in there that you need or want. You just see a queue and you want to join it like a big sheep. I don't know what's happened to me. But actually, I do think that kind of wild defiance, you know, it's still there. 
after a couple of whiskeys. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's definitely still there. And I'm so glad that you bring it up because I really do think it's one of, because people, I mean, this is such a mad question, but I've had a few English people ask me, but like, how is Ireland different to England? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just yeah. like, what, like, what are you talking about? Would you ask how is France different to England? Like, because it's yeah. a different country, know. you know, and it's not just neutrally a different country. Like there, there was like kind of long and protracted conflict to really like ensure it's a different country, you know. But I just don't think it's taught in schools over it. Like for us, you know, the British situation was, was our history, mm-hmm. like a lot of it for British people, we were only small fries compared to what they were doing to the rest of the world. So I just think they didn't really learn about Ireland or it was like a bit of a footnote. Well, they don't learn about the rest. They don't don't learn about what they were doing in the rest of the world either. Um, So yeah, Yeah. I think kind of colonialism and empire is a bit skimmed over, you know? Yeah. But one of the things that I find really distinctly different is just that that Irish kind of... um, What's the word? It's not like... It's not a not. It's not being anarchic, but it's just like I was going to say, d- healthy disregard for rules. That's the perfect way of describing it. Yeah, and I actually don't think anarchy is too strong. I think like there's a gentle anarchy to Irish people. Yeah, that, yeah, the, yeah. Know? There is definitely yeah an anarchic streak that I really yeah. miss. It's probably one of the you know the main things that I miss. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? It's never too far. <laughs> you don't have to look too far to seek it out. <laughs> it lives within us all. It lives within us all. Um, okay, finally, before I let you go, we're just going to get a little frivolous here for a minute. The present that you are most grateful for. Oh, my God. My dad's Nigerian, so his parents are Nigerian. So a lot of like Nigerian babies have their ears pierced like from, from very young. So yeah. when I was born basically my grandmother and my aunt took me out and um I came home <laughs> I came home with gold earrings in my ears and my oh. mum was like uh <laughs> what what are you doing <laughs> how old how old a few months old okay, okay I, was, I have no memory like but so I've no memory of getting my ears pierced and I'm quite I'm just, I've just they've just always been pierced and I'm quite grateful yeah. for that and then they gave me like loads of gold jewelry so I was just like a, a like a fat little baby like bejeweled oh. so yeah that's the, the polar opposite to my anti-capitalist stance but um as I was <laughs> as I was merely an infant I had no say in it um but, but you know what the, the the one thing is I I over the years like I lost most of it because I guess one of okay. the things about giving a small child a lot of gold jewellery is they don't necessarily they take care of it <laughs> you know so um I have I have a lot of uh yeah photographs of me and I'm all <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm blinging oh, but I yeah all that, that gold for giving me the drip when I was a baby <laughs> <laughs> I mean everyone needs aunties like those that is beautiful thank you so much Emma and thank you for um keeping the little wildling away while we got through this <laughs> I could see the little very Irish look I don't need to say a word I don't need to even open my mouth so many people have seen, have seen that look over the I last few it. months it was like don't even <laughs> test me um the book is fantastic by the way I, I like I said at the beginning I'm like putting it up here like this I love the cover and you are a wonder thank you so much for chatting to me today thank you it's been a pleasure 
big, big thank you to Emma Dabry there. And as ever, if this has sparked some ideas about what you are thankful for, please do let me know. Drop me a line using the hashtag thanks a million trio to at Angela Scanlon on Instagram. Emma's brilliant, brilliant best-selling book, What White People Can Do Next from Allyship to Coalition is out now. And there's a link below in the show notes. We will be releasing new episodes every single week. And we've also got our little mini pods dropping on a Friday if you want something fresh and new. They're all listener generated and I love them. So you can get involved. It's the thanks that got away. Please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts or shout gently at Alexa. Alexa, can you please subscribe to Thanks a Million by Angela Scanlon? Merci beaucoup. And if you are loving the show, please do write us a review. I know it's annoying, but it's really, really helpful to get more people to find the podcast and listen and ensure that I can keep making it. Send it to your friends on a WhatsApp group. All helps with the cause spreading a little bit of love please go and check out the brilliant guests that we've had on the previous three series there are an absolute wealth of varied and wonderful humans and something for everybody and finally thanks to my producer louise mason and to you the listeners see you next week thanks a million 